0: Hey, so if you're new to For the City, my name is Scott. It's a joy to have you here as we continue through the book of Titus. We're in the last chapter of a very small letter, right? Um, But just a quick reminder, if you remember when we began this sermon series, which is planting healthy churches, right, We, we talked about how Paul left Titus behind in Crete, which is an island, which is like crazy island where the gospel has started to take root to set what needed to be remained in order, right? He said, there's a capital T truth that leads to godliness. You need to appoint elders. You need to appoint pastors who are going to help you. It's too much for you, Titus. You need more people to labor with you. And oh, there are these false teachers, right? And, and they're going to infiltrate. They're already among you. You've got to figure out who they are. They're actually, they present themselves as people who love the gospel and who love God's people. But they actually, they don't. They hate God's people and they hate the gospel. You need to figure out who they are and silence them. And by the way, everybody's got to get this, because in chapter 2, he goes, and he starts to talk about the, the different people within the church. You've got older women, you've got younger women, you've got older men, younger men, you have these bond servants, and everyone needs to embrace this gospel to the point that it will bring transformation of the whole family. And as they do, what we'll see is they'll understand the gospel, good works and, and good fruit will start to come from this people, but it's going to be laborsome. So make sure you keep your hand to the plow. But now we're entering chapter three. And in chapter three, essentially there's a little bit of a shift of what's happening in this letter as he gets ready to land the plane, right? And the shift is this. We've been talking about how the gospel works inside the heart and inside the community of believers. But what about when you go out into the big bad world? Because that's where they live. That's where you and I live. How how does it speak to the current culture that I'm in? And really, that's what he's going to get into today. How does the gospel transform and inform God's people to live as citizens in, in Crete or in America, as people who are not really citizens of Crete or America, because those who are in Christ are citizens of another kingdom? How do we live? And that's a good question. It, the past few years, I think we can all agree, have been very difficult on a global scale. Now, for many countries, it's like, no, this has just been my normal cup of tea. But I think for America, it's, it's really shook us in a lot of ways, right? I think we could agree with that. And, and it's got the church and it's got people asking, how do we live in a culture that has really, even if you're not a believer, you, you can see it's unhinging itself from just truth. It's just—it's chaos. It's insanity. How do we live? Well, as the people of God, we have to ask that question. It's not a new question, though. The great 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody was once asked to describe what he thought the relationship between the church and the world ought to be. Should the church reject the world altogether, separating from it so to avoid contamination? That was one thing that was posed. And they said, or should the church embrace the world wholeheartedly, becoming just like it so that we can reach the lost? And that was the other end of the spectrum. And the evangelist answered, he says, The place for the ship is in the sea, but God help the ship if the sea gets into it. That's a great answer, right? He's so quick, right? His mind's sharp. But. These two extremes everybody wants to live in, right? Because we can just set our flag up there and live in that camp. But i got to tell you, God's people must learn to live in the tension. It's never that easy. It's never that black and white most often. It, it, it takes wisdom. It takes grace. It takes spirit power to bring about how do we respond to this situation. And, and we can't boil it down. By the way, he, he just ripped off Jesus, that's really what he did, because Jesus said this in John 17, 14 through 18. This is the night before his crucifixion, and he's praying to his fathers. It's called the high priestly prayer, right? That's how it's been known as. But, but listen to what he says. I have given them your word. He's speaking of the disciples and the apostles. And the world has hated them, because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, listen to what he says. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Make them holy. Allow the truth, this capital T truth, to to bring about change, to make them more like me. That's what he's saying. Sanctify them. Set them apart. He says, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So, Dale Moody says, I think Jesus got a lot to say, and it's all true and it's good, so I'm going to say it in my own way. We need to learn how to say the same thing. What does the Word of God say? That should be your first question when we come into moments of cultural uh, unease, right? Like, how do I live? What does the Word of God say? By the way, for many in America, this was fine as long as it didn't affect their country club version of Christianity. It was just easy right? Live in the cul-de-sac world of Christianity. Of course it's easy, right? Well, you just, you don't invite them to your party. You have cookouts with people that are just like you. But I got to tell you, over the last couple of years, the water has gotten very choppy in America. And, and it's, many people are trying to find a place to hide. Whether it become race, riots, elections, pandemics, war, There's been much debate, disagreement, and even division among those within the church and those outside the church as to how we should navigate this culture, this world that we live in. And and by the way, who here likes to kayak? Okay, I know Mark does. He's trying to get us rallied to go. And I want to go, by the way. I just need to figure out the when, right? Um, I would say I can kayak. I would say that, right? If I'm on a lake and it's pretty still, I can kayak. Right? So many people think that's what it means to kayak. But what if you were to put me on like a raging river and ask me to go upstream? Well now, I cannot kayak, right? I can drown and I can go downstream. And I think many times within the church, that's, that's what it's like. Oh, this is not hard, this is easy. Why? Well, Because you're on a lake and it is like glass. Yeah, it's easy to be a Christian when it's like that. But boy, when the water gets tough, it's very hard. You start to realize what you believe when the pressure comes. You, you start to see what's really on the inside as the pressure comes. And so, so what is it, right? Well, it's, it's left many joining, this for you, Jake, Frodo. I know other people like Lord of the Rings, but not like Jake likes Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Who after hearing the dark history of the ring and the return of the evil Lord Sauron, Frodo remarks, listen to what he says. I wish it need not happen in my time. But I bet you a a lot of us have had that thought. I wish it wouldn't have happened in my time. I wanted to enjoy my graduation in high school. I wanted to go to the prom. Like This has affected many people in many ways. And it may have left you saying, I wish the pandemic or this or that would not have happened in my time. So do I, replies Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Same is true for us. You can, you can long for the yester years. You could say, I wish it weren't like this. You could, you could dream of the day when it wasn't. But it's just wasting your time. Listen, you and I have been born again for a time just like this. It's not by accident you're here right now living in this year, in this place, at this time. God sovereignly placed you here. How we live in this crazy culture, by the way, is of major, It's of major importance for the advancement of the gospel. How we live, how we respond, matters greatly. So what does that look like? Well, I think that that's where Paul wants to talk to Titus and wants Titus to train people to think about and to live. So, first point. We're looking at verses 1 and 2 of Titus 3. Remember how you're to act towards this ungodly world. Right? Where do you see that? Look at verse 1 and 2. Remind them... <laughs> right? Remind them. They're going to forget. Remind them. They're going to drift. Remind them. They're going to unhinge themselves from what you said. Remind them. You already said this, Paul. Remind them. I think we need reminded. To be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy towards all people. See what he said? Christians are to be submissive and obedient to rulers and authorities only when government lines up with our core values. Oh, you didn't see that? That's because it's not in there. It's not in the text. It's in my Bible. And a lot of people, they live like that. They love to shove that piece into the Bible. They love to read it into the context. Well, submit to them when I want to submit to them. It's not called submission. Submission. You might be thinking, well, yeah, but Paul didn't understand what America would be like under this regime. Paul lived under the tyranny of a notoriously godless Nero. Godless. And yet, he did not make that exception for that godless government. He said, submit to them, obey them. By the way, I know some of you are getting uncomfortable. Hang in there. You might leave uncomfortable. I'm okay with that. Paul did not say to obey this command only if, if you live in a Christian-based government. But man, do we love to, to read that into the text. We're to be submissive to rulers and authorities. We are to be obedient. That's what it says. Well, maybe Paul's wrong. Jesus said... In Matthew twenty two twenty one, 21, he says, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Paul says in Romans 13, 1, let every person, who's that? Every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. People have got to think about that, right? And those that exist have been instituted by God. Maybe he's taking a lunch break this couldn 't be the institution he wants he's allowed it he's allowed it I 'm not saying they do the things that please him he 's allowed it he 's sovereignly working in it Peter adds in first Peter 2 thirteen through 14 be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good so we see that there's there's a goodness to the government. I'm thankful for, for the police. I'm thankful for these different institutions. Are there corruptions? Yes, because man has fallen. This is extremely difficult in how to apply in our current culture. It is. However, we must work to align our thinking to the Word of God. We must. Not our emotions. I know what my emotions say when I first see it, when I first come in contact with it, I generally don't go with that as my first rule of thumb anymore because they're generally wrong, right? But there's two extremes that can happen within the church. Now I'm talking within the church of how to interact with culture and gospel, okay? The one extreme, by the way, is let's call them a Christian extreme. It could be nationalism. We just think that like everything ought to be run under like Christian values in the government. Well, that'd be great, but that's not our reality. And, and that's really not our aim. That's not our mission. I think the other one's Christian escape, and let's call them Amish, right? Do, do you know what I mean by this, right? So like one extreme is like, we've got, to, we've got to reform everything. We've got to change everything. The other extreme is like, this isn't going to work. Let's go find a field. and Let's remove ourselves from it. But, but neither of, both of those are an error, by the way. Both of those are in error because both are attempting to have heaven on earth now. Both, the main aim of both of those is comfort. Well, just make me more comfortable if everybody did what I did and said what I said and didn't bother me. Well, how do you get that? Well, both are working towards the same aim, just different approaches. But both actually reject God and seek to do their own thing under the guise of being Christian. So if that's you, that should punch. Should punch. This should, this is abrasive. Instead, we are called to submit ourselves to governments and to authorities that we don't always align with and submit to them and seek to do good as aliens and exiles from another kingdom. We're to be people who are proactively looking for opportunities to bless our city and to serve our neighbors. So we're here to be light in a community, to be in a city. We're not to be anarchists or rebels who are always seeking to overturn the government every time it does not align with what I think or disagrees with what I believe ought to be happening. And if you think this is easy, or if you think this is black and white, then I honestly don't know what world you live in. And I don't know what Bible you read. Because it's not easy. We need so much grace here. We need so much wisdom here. We need to learn to pause often and say, God, what does your word say? Seek him in his word. Seek him in prayer. Fasting, right? Like, Hopefully, by the way, right now you're thinking at some point, it might have been right away, well, does that mean there's never any time that we should like disobey the government? You should have had that thought if you're going to be a thoughtful Christian. You should have had that thought by now. Because I got to tell you, there are times that you disobey the ruler and authority. But the only time Christians are actually, and I would say required, <laughs> required to disobey the rulers and authorities is when that We are commanded to do something that would require us to disobey the clear teachings of God's word. In that case, we say, I have a king above you. And we, we submit to the consequences of that rebellion against that authority. Meaning, you might, you might get beat. You might go to jail. But you do it. Why? Because I have a king above you. And even if you kill me, well then to die is gain. And that submission will speak to the world around you. It's not just when it's affecting your perceived American freedom that we do this. No, it's, it's when the Word of God says this. You're saying to do something contrary to that. Therefore, no. And you might say it very peaceably. And just receive the consequences. We, we join... Peter and the apostles when they said this, we must obey God rather than men when they were told to not speak of the name of Jesus. So, if if the law of the land says you must not share the gospel, we join them. Well, what happened to them? Many of them got beat, many of them got thrown into prison, and many of them died. But that submission is evidence of the submission to and trust in God, not you trying to control the situation. Christians are to be full of gentleness, grace, and humility. And we receive it. You can see it how Paul says it with two negatives and two positives. You see that? Look, he says, speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. By the way, when stress and anxiety is high, it's easy to shred people with our tongues. It's right. Can I get an amen? Right? It's just so easy. When the pressure comes, anxiety rises, it's just so easy. When when we look at the news day after day, when our neighbors wrong us in some way, the human nature, our old nature, if you're in Christ, our old nature is to build a case and start to tear them down with our words. How are I going to tell you, we won't win our neighbors to Christ if, if we cut them down with our words. I mean, we just won't. You're trying to convince them of your, your ideology or this or that. Just, just share your life and share the gospel and share a meal. Because until the Lord changes their mind, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter, right? He says to be gentle and to be considerate. We ought to use our tongues to bless people, to, to use words that build up, not shred them, right? Because listen, they're made in the image of God. So think of the person that you think of, man, I can't stand that, whatever that person is. Now picture them right now. And do you use your tongue to bless them? Or do you curse them? And if you're like, man, he's really got his stuff together. No, this this wrecked me this week. I needed to, to do some repenting. I needed to do some confessing. Do I, is my natural inclination to pray for them or is it to slander them? they're made in the image of God. God loves that person you have in your mind. Your enemies are not flesh and blood. You have no human enemies. If you're in Christ, you have no human enemies. Now, they might not think that way about you, but all our enemies are are not people made in God's enemies. Think of them as captives in a war, and they can't see, and they can't understand, and they're in the domain of darkness. And what do they need? They need salvation. They need the light of the gospel. By the way, just a side note, Christians should not be offended easily. If you offend easily, it's, it's ask the Lord to help you here, and you might need a friend to come alongside you. I mean, seriously, I just see people get so offended so easily, and then they immediately go on the attack. You should be not offended easily. If you are, and that's where your ad's time to grow. It's time to change. Because if you offend easily, your first thing is you will attack you attack, but if you could see people proper as, as someone a captive in a war, you would have much more patience. Well, how do you do that? Well, you remember your own life. <laughs> By the way, Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. By the way, that means good or bad fruit. You want to eat rotten fruit? Go ahead. Speak death to people all the time. Slander them. Cut them down. Just, just shred people made in the image of God. You'll, you'll bear fruit just be rotten. It'll be gross. It'll be filled with maggots. It'll be nasty. Or you could speak life. Speak life. Good. That's the feeling you should have every time the sin rises to your tongue. You could speak life, and you'll bear fruit there, too. You'll bear fruit there, too. It doesn't mean everyone's going to love you. But the, you're not worried about everyone loving you. You're worried about, hopefully, as a Christian, pleasing the one who does love you. You have an audience of one, right? So simply put, we're to be transformed by the gospel of grace. We are to be gracious citizens and neighbors wherever we are, wherever we live, to those who are in the domain of darkness, and obviously to those who are in, in the kingdom of light. We're to treat people like Jesus treated people. And I know in any moment I say that, someone's like, well, you know, he flipped tables. Well, we can talk about that. <laughs> We go to that one moment. By the way, that was kindness, and that was truth, by the way. That was kindness, and that was truth, and that wasn't his first reaction. If you look at the Gospels, many times he tried to sh- shed light into the darkness, and they kept rejecting him to the moment where this is what the reaction is. And he didn't sin in it. That's not always true of us. Or to treat people like Jesus treated people with trees. With truth and grace. But here's the thing. If you do this, people are going to hate you. And you're like, no. Oh, yeah. They will. I mean, some will love you, but most are going to hate you. Not if I'm nice. I'm not talking about being nice. There's no command in the Bible to be nice. What a joke. Nice is so gross. That is a. I'll skip that illustration, it's not helpful. How do you do that? Well, you need power, but you also need to remember who you once were, which is exactly where Paul goes. Look at verse 3. And and the the second point is, remember that you once were just like the ungodly people of this world. Look what he says. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient. By the way, foolish and disobedient in this text and throughout the Bible is someone who says there's no God. I'm not talking they're an atheist. I'm saying they live their lives as though that God does not matter. They do not submit to his rule and his reign. That is foolish. That is disobedient. Okay. We were once that, right? Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice. Malice is wishing bad things on people and envying, right? Which is, by the way, wishing good things would not have happened to people, right? That's what that is. Hated by others and hating one another. That's us. That's a description of us apart from Christ. That's the core of who you are. doesn't mean that that's you 24-7, but what it does mean is that that is your nature apart from Christ. You are a son or a daughter of Adam. You are under God's wrath. You are a rebel by nature. And it's so easy to become angry and impatient with unbelievers who act like selfish jerks. Until we remember at one time we were selfish jerks and still often, too often, act like selfish jerks. Right? Or is it just me? Okay, I just want to make sure. Because if you all got it, you can go home. I think this is especially difficult for those, by the way, who have grown up in, and don't hear this wrong, a Christian bubble. Because we just think everybody should have all their stuff together. And by the way, they, when they're honest, they don't have their stuff together. But but it's it's so easy because you've not been outside of the fish tank you don't even know that water's wet and when you get outside of it you start to flop a little and suck for air because you're like whoa this ain't what I thought by the way I'm good with that I'm good with that To to have a season where they they don't interact in that way. Man, what a grace in your life. But you've got to know there are people who will come to faith at the age of 20, at the age of 30, at the age of 40, and they've been raised by a pack of wolves, and they're, they're born again. They're really born again. And you'll be like, I just don't understand why they're not getting it. Hello, McFly. I have an idea. For 40 years, that's the world they lived in. Just because they've come to see the grace and the truth of God, they don't have this general grace where they were trained to have a moralistic fiber in their bone, right? So they they rebel and they don't even know. They need what? They need discipleship. They need to be brought into the family. They need grace. They need power. They need you to invite them into their house and teach them what it even means to be civil and to love. Train them. To be trained in grace. That was our sermon last week. We all need trained in grace. You have not arrived. Neither have I. Remember where you've fallen from. And remember where the Lord has saved you out of. We have to get this. If we're going to give our lives to loving and serving this city, do not be surprised when people mistreat you, when people hate you, when they falsely accuse you. I was excited this week. I heard, hey, you guys are a cult. I'm not surprised, because when you look at many of the churches, this is different. Should it be? No, it shouldn't be, but they're, they're falsely accusing. Now, what's my response to that? It's love and patience. I, I, mean, I understand that. It might look a little strange. We open the Bible. We love one another. We eat together. Sounds a little crazy. Sounds a little cultish. You should come on in, but we don't serve Kool-Aid. And by the way, there's a definition for cult. And so we looked at it, and we don't tick any of them. But we just throw that word around because it's different. This is strange. I like that we're strange. I like that we're different. I like that people are noticing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. What do you do when it happens, when people do this? Well, first, you remember what you used to be like. First, you remember that, man, there was a time I was in a domain of darkness. Then you ask yourself, what did God do to those and for those when people hated him? When I would curse God, even though I might not have said it with my lips because I was well trained, how did the Lord respond to me? How did he respond to my charges? my frustrations, my angers, my shaking my fist within my heart. How did he respond? Well, let's look. Third point is, remember that God, it was God's loving kindness and mercy that saved you and transformed you. Look at this text. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth of this text to you. You should ask that for all truth. But the the words that are in this section of scripture, you could meditate the rest of your life on and never touch bottom. And I mean that. So look with me. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How did he respond? That's how he responded. Like, he did not stand at a cold distance with his arms crossed and a scowl on his face saying, I can't believe the way they're acting. I can't believe they don't get it. Instead, He, it says, appeared. He entered our world with loving kindness and mercy in order to, and the main thing in that text, that main verb, is to save us. To save us. Don't miss this. You must slow down and look at this and savor every word that is being said here. So the first thing that we notice is there's nothing more that He could have given. There's nothing more that God could have given. Do you see it? Like, he gave us himself. He gave us himself. He has kindly and lovingly given us his son. He has given us his spirit. He's poured out his spirit upon those who believe. And why do you believe? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. There's there's nothing more he could have done. So there's nothing more he could have given, but there's nothing more he could have done or even needed to do. He's done everything. He's done it all. He has justified us. He has declared us righteous. He has declared us forgiven all our past, present, and future sins. And then He's also given us, given us as a gift, perfect righteousness of His Son. That's that's how you stand before God right now. He has justified us with no cost to us, by the way, and great cost to Himself. He's given us new birth. He's renewed us. Every step of the way, he has provided for us. Everything that was needed has been done and is being done because he's a God who provides. The other thing as we see is there's, there's nothing more that he could have promised, right? He's promised us eternal life. In a, and by the way, in a world that will be reborn, Oh, this needs taught more than it is. You are not going to live in some you know, city in the clouds. You're not going to get a deity. You're not going to get wings. And you're not going to strum a harp. And if that's disappointing to you, you have a weird fantasy. You're not going to get a mansion. You're gonna, he, he's going, the, this earth will be reborn, it will be renewed, it will be without sin. You will have a glorified body that has no sin. You will enjoy life with God and all his people for eternity. And you will explore all the new earth. So every time I look at the travel thing, which I do, Instagram. If you check out my Instagram, it's all travel and food and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to go there. I'm probably never going to go there. Like my bank account, if you look at it, you're like, no, you're not probably going far, right? (laughs) And I'm okay with that because I have eternity to explore this earth. And it'll be better it'll just be better. Why? Because there'll be no sin in it. I get to explore it with friends. Like, I don't know what you think you'll do for all of eternity, but you enjoy him in a new heaven, and a new earth, in a new Jerusalem that has come down and all will be perfect. So if you feel like, man, I've missed out on this life, hang in there. (laughs) Hang in there and don't try to take a shortcut and get it now. Oh, how many Christians have done this. And, and they wreck their witness, and they waste their lives. Don't, don't do that. Don't be those people. He's promised eternal life. He has saved us to become heirs. Don't miss that word, right? Like, think about your inheritance. You might have a big family. If you are, be generous with what you get. But if you don't, don't worry about it, because your Father in Heaven owns everything, and you are a co-heir with Him. What do I get? I get Him. I get everything. And by the way, the greatest gift is getting God unhindered in a way that you can receive Him and enjoy Him and love Him now and for eternity in a way that you don't right now. It's already but not yet, right? This is the hope of eternal life and it is promised by God who does not lie. Do I believe this? It's a stunning summary of the loving kindness of God to give himself in this way to a people who do not deserve anything but wrath. This is how God treats us. Is that how I treat the world? That's a good question to ask. By the way, what we're talking about is being born again, or you might have heard it said this way, born again, right? Because a lot of people use that in a derogatory way, right? You are, you're one of them there born again Christians, aren't you? That's all there is. <laughs> Are you one of those not born again lost people who need the hope of the gospel? By the way, it's not just information alone. There's a very, very brilliant man named Nicodemus. And he was trying to figure these things out with Jesus one night. And, and so he comes to him, He's like, I'm hearing you teaching, not picking up everything you're laying down. Help me understand. And Jesus answered him. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm in John 3, 3 through 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Kingdom means rule and reign, right? Rule and reign. Jesus is king. He rules. He reigns. You cannot enter that kingdom unless you're born again. Nicodemus said to him, hmm, How? you got to hear it the way he would have heard this. Don't just like, oh, I know the story. How can a man be born when he's old? That's a good question. i got to be born again. This is going to be awkward. Mom, what if mom's not alive? i got to find a friend. That's a good friend. I mean, someone might give you a kidney, but to do that, that's a whole other thing. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? That's what he's asking. It's what he's asking. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. When the Holy Spirit regenerates you, notice that word in our text today in verse four through seven, he changes your soul so that you have a new mind and you have a new heart. Heart. I don't mean like like you don't get a heart transplant, but in a sense you do because the heart is the center of who you are. And prior to being born again, your heart is cold. It is dead. It wants nothing to do with God. And God in his kindness by the work of the Holy Spirit takes that cold, wretched, disgusting heart out. He takes it out. He puts in one that's flesh, that can feel, that can see. And I say see. You're like, my heart doesn't see. This heart does. And you better get this, because this is how you understand what it means to be born again. There was a day, I don't know when that day was, you heard the gospel proclaimed, the message of grace, and you said, that's beautiful. That's amazing. That's stunning. Oh God, I see. I see. I deserve your wrath. And I've been complaining about my life not being good. And you, in your kindness, did not squash me like a grape. In your kindness, you sent your son and you crushed him in my place. And now I see this. I see that what I deserve is wrath, but what you've given me is you've given me yourself. And if you've not had that experience, whew, let's get a coffee because I'm telling you right now, you have to have that experience. And I say experience because it's not just an intellectual assent. It's not just saying, I believe that Jesus is. This, Satan believes that. It's an experience. It's hearing the word of God. And by the way, who does that? I want you to know the Holy Spirit does that. He causes your heart to say, Jesus, you're beautiful. You're precious. You're my savior. Oh God, how I need you. Save me. That's an experience. That's an experience of grace. That's an experience that the Holy Spirit does. You don't do that. And if you say, I love you, you're beautiful, I want you, give me you. You did not do that. You're responding to the work that the Holy Spirit has done in you. Or you would never think Jesus is beautiful. You would never want him. You'd want nothing to do with him still. It's an absolute miracle of grace to be born again. What happened was that the Holy Spirit broke through the dark chaos of your life and allowed the light of the truth of the gospel to shine into the dark regions of your heart. And you said, oh God, save me. But you're already in his hand. You responded with faith. You did that because he did that work in you. Oh, I pray you'd rejoice in that. By the way, if you're thinking, I don't know that I had that experience, don't stay there. Work through it. Work through it. Work through that question. Because it might not have been exactly like that, but there was a moment you said, that's true and that's beautiful and I want you. And if that hasn't happened, I would rather you be uncomfortable than for you to die and spend eternity in hell because there will be many religious people who never had that experience but said some things at a youth rally or at some other moment that were not from the heart but just from their lips and they will have been well-meaning good citizens who behaved and everybody said what a nice fella he is what a nice lady she is and they will spend eternity in hell because they don't love God you must you must be born again does your heart love Jesus does your heart love Jesus well if it does and if you do then the last point we got four today Whoa! normally you have three you get an extra one Remember to be a blessing because you have also been greatly blessed. See it in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things, Titus. Every other elder since this moment. Insist on this. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. What what do we do? Okay, born-again folks, those who are trusting in Christ, what do you do with the messing, confusing, frustrating times we're living in as a born-again man or woman? Right? Will we be keyboard warriors, right? Who just go out and tell everybody this should be like the good old days and post some stupid meme, right? And they're almost all stupid. If you're wondering, is it stupid? It's stupid. It's stupid. And if it's Christian, it's probably even more stupid. I mean that. Like, come on. We can do better. Am I going to get more and more angry? Am I just going to get frustrated? I'm going to become the grumpy guy that says, get off my lawn with your stupid soccer ball. Am I going to do that? That's that's an option. You could do that. You could do that. Or will I become more and more isolated, right, as I hide in my little bunker with my Bible, my bullets, and my beans, wait for the rapture? Lord Jesus, come, right? Another episode of Veggie Tales. Like, you have these options. They're options. You could do them. You could do them. But if you were to do either of those, you're out of step and out of line with what Jesus calls us to do. You're out of step. You're out of line with what Jesus calls us to do. Do you, do you realize that almost all of the New Testament letters are about? This is the gospel. Here's how you live in light of it. You're like, I just wish the Lord would speak to me. He has spoken to you. Can you hear? Will you read? It's not that you don't know almost always. That's never the case. It's never an information problem. It's almost always a transformation problem. You hear and you say, "Mm, I wonder what my Jesus would say. I kind of like him better. He's not as abrasive. <laughs> he tells me the things I would like to hear. He tells me, yes, I should do this. And, well, be kind and give my time and my money. Uh, no, that's not my Jesus. He's so clear. So clear, you know, the most miserable people are the people who say they love God, know they live contrary to Him, and they are miserable. I was talking with a dear friend this week, and and the illustration came to my mind, and I think it's really good. It's it's the chaos of standing on the beach, and you got one foot on the sand, one foot in the breakers, and you keep getting knocked over. I said, You just be better to go and sit under an umbrella and drink Mai Tais or jump in, you just be better. Do you know what I mean? Because like, it's chaos to live there. Where the waves just keep knocking you over. You wake up and every day you've got sand and salt water in your eyes. You've got a jellyfish hanging off your head. And you're like, this Jesus thing ain't working for me. It's because you're living a dualistic life. And it's miserable. Do you know why it's miserable? I want you to know it's a good sign that it's miserable, by the way. Because the Holy Spirit keeps pressing on you saying, get in the water. Get in the water, wade into the water. If you need, put on floaties. Come on out. But I got you. I got you. Trust me, because that's what it comes down to. Do you? Trust that the words of Jesus are true and that they're good and that Jesus is better than sex and that he's better than your political agendas and that he's better than all these trivial things that are like leeches sucking the life out of you, sucking the joy out of you. The happiest place for a Christian to be is under the glad submission of King Jesus who knows best because you and I make horrible gods horrible gods. You can't even run your own life for Pete's sakes. How are you going to run others? I'm talking to me, too. If you're like, man, you seem a little intense today. I am. I am. This is my norm, by the way. I've been trying to be reserved, because I know in this room it could be a little intense. Whoa. Right? Like, but this is my norm. I wake up like this. Huh, Jess? <laughs> Huh, Sarah, there's extra rewards in heaven, I'm sure. But gosh, we get so excited about football and all these different things. And I'm, I'm all for that, man. I love passion. Like, don't be lukewarm towards almost anything, right? Just go in, get out, whatever. Like, be passionate. But can I just tell you, as God's people, get your, like, get your Jesus freak flag and wave it. Just wave it. Audience of one, they're going to think I'm weird. You are weird. Get over you wave it. Go in with Jesus. Quit standing at the break line. The water's fine. It's really nice out there. You'll enjoy it. There'll be times where you get afraid. Wave will go over your head. Whoa! is that a fan? Uh, Right? But you're in the good grace of God. And so nothing can ultimately do anything to you out there, even if a shark eats you to die is gain. What can they do to you? But you'll never have the peace that you're meant to have until you live in glad, joyful submission. And by the way, in case I'm not being clear, I don't mean you wake up like that. Every day I wake up and Scott wants to rule. Oh, I do. Oh, Joe. I, I love to sit on my little throne. King Scott, little K. Right? And every day in God's kindness, at some point in the day, I wish it was earlier sometimes, He comes and he flicks that little guy off and he says, You make terrible God. Look at the wreckage you're making. You're trying to control. You're you're angry. You're frustrated. That's because you're not God. Submit. Obey. Joyfully. Scott Rising. Because this is the greatest place to live. And then I just keep going into the water and he keeps taking me deeper and deeper. And that's where joy is found. It's, It's with him. Paul's point is simple. If, if you've received mercy when you did not deserve it, when you des- deserved wrath, then show God's love and kindness and love and mercy to those who don't deserve it. It's not complicated. You're like, well, couldn't you have said that in 40 minutes? I could have. About four minutes? Could have. One minute? Could have. But you need reminded. I need reminded If you're a follower of Jesus, which means born again, God intends you to be a force of good for his name's sake, to magnify Jesus. In your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, at the gym, wherever you go within the world, he intends for you not only to rejoice in Jesus's good work for you, but to be ready to devote yourself to doing good works wherever you are able. Wherever you're able. By the way, here's a little caution. And I think that church plants almost always need this caution more than others. We do not devote ourselves to good works for a result. You got to get this. But from a result of being born again. Here's why. The first will actually make people a project. And when they don't do what you think they ought to do to the love that you're giving, you'll resent them. And you'll think they're rejecting you. And they might be, but chances are they're rejecting Christ. So we just keep loving. Well, what if they spit on you? Wipe it off. Disinfect. Keep going. Right? There's a time to say, well, I'm not going to let you spit on me. Right? There's a time for that. When is that? Well, I'm not going to talk about that. It's a one-off someone spits on you, let me know. We'll talk about it. But the other is just an overflow of the Spirit's work in the life of a believer. And there's a big difference. I devote myself to good works, not for a result, but from the result. Anyone who drinks of this drink, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, from his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so that's why. So let me give you some tangible things. I don't normally do this in case you haven't noticed, but we're going to get tangible today. We've got seven minutes and I'm going to take all of them. Jeremiah four through, 29, 4 through 7 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles. By the way, that's you, man. Like you're not exile of Israel, but you are an exile, right? Whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Babylon is a really bad place. Build houses, okay? Or redo houses, right? Levi, Bridget, right? Live in them, okay? Check. Plant gardens. I'm not probably doing that, but I'll buy garden stuff. Eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease do not decrease. Time's really bad. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, for in that you will then find your welfare. That, that requires more time and thought than I'm going to give, but I'm going to give you three breakdowns of what I think is, is just so plain in that text, but you should go home and look at that text later and say, how do I apply that text in my life now? Now, I understand that text was not written for the New Testament church, but there's wisdom here. So the first thing is settle down. And I don't mean like simmer down. I mean, put down roots. Just settle down. Bloom where you're planted. I don't know who said it, but I've heard it so many times, and it definitely wasn't mean. But I love that. Bloom where you're planted. Settle down. Live there. Be good citizen. Be a pillar of the community. When you die, have people say, I miss that guy. I miss that gal. Man, every time I saw them, they were an encouragement to me. Settle down. It takes time to have that kind of legacy in a city. I plan on living and dying in Greensburg. Hopefully no time soon, but that's my plan. I want to get old here if the Lord will let me. I can't wait to see the churches be planted from our efforts. I think it's going to happen. Just believe that it's the core of who I am. I mean, it might be that little guy. It might not be, but I'm praying to that end. I'm praying to that end. I'm laboring towards that end. So settle down, put roots down, start small. That's the second piece. Start small. Pick up a piece of litter in the park or in your neighborhood, or if you're like, my neighborhood's clean, come to my neighborhood, because I got a whole area that needs picked up, and you can help me, we can do it today, it'd be awesome. Donate coats and hats and gloves, right? Soup, whatever, right? You can talk to one person about King Jesus and your hope that you have in Christ, you can do that. Do the next thing, whatever that next thing may be. Write a card, how are you gifted? I don't know how you're gifted, I'm not your Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Seek to do something small. You'll never, you'd be amazed at what God might do with a small step of faith. Invite someone to your house for a cookout when it warms up, right? Invite someone to go to a game, whatever, whatever you do, but start small. So settle down, plant roots, right? Bloom by doing something small. And then my last piece that I see from this text so clearly is just have tons of hope and dream big. By the way, this is generally not not seeing your dreams realized right? and getting what you want. That's not what I mean. Many times, your dreams need to be crushed because God has a different vision for your life and embrace the life that he's going to give you, whatever may come. But dream big knowing that God can and will use you in a magnificent way to magnify the name of Jesus. Oh, he longs to do that in and through you. So dream big. I'm going to finish, by the way. Man, I wish I had 20 more minutes. <laughs> and you're like, we don't. I know. <laughs> There's probably one or two weirdos that are like, I do. That was me. You might be a preacher. You might be. We are heirs of eternal life. You have to get your head in the clouds. You have to look forward. That's how hope is just shoved into your spine. If you don't, if you don't, this would be a miserable journey. To illustrate it, I'm going to ask my friend John Newton to speak. He's not going to really speak. Oh, that'd be freaky. (laughs) Listen to what he says, because he's dead, right? Well, actually, he's alive with the Lord. Anyway, he says this suppose a man, this is where we're going to end. Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate, and his carriage, for those who don't know what that is, there's a horse and this thing, and it broke. It, it should break down a mile before he gets to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him. If we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile, my carriage is broken! My carriage is broken! You would say, walk! Get to your estate! by a trillion carriages! But this is what christians do all the time you're so close to the finish line you don't even realize it and you're blubbering about something that happened in your week or something that happened in the world your carriage is broken keep walking why you're in error you're in error where are you going i'm going to the good place where's the good place the presence of god fully realize where my faith becomes sight and i get him fully quit wringing your hands christian no wonder people are like, I don't want anything to do with your religion. It seems like a drag. It seems like a drag. If you're doing that, get your head in the clouds. Look to your God and, and be full of cheer and be genuine with him. I'm hurting, but i got a hope that's unshakable and it's so secure and it's so sure. Why? Because the, the, the God of this universe has given me the Holy Spirit, has caused me to be born again. I know my future's bright. So therefore, I just march. And I keep on walking. I'm telling you, if you will do this, by God's grace, by God's power, they will think you are a bigger freak than a cult. They'll be like, what are you, an alien? And you could say, well, in a way, in a way I kind of am. Because I'm not of this world. I'm gone to the new world. And the new world is where my Lord is. And I can't wait. But until then, be a good pilgrim. Be a good pilgrim. Seek to love. Give yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to this city and pursue Jesus with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength and find intense joy in him. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace that you have caused us to be born again to a living hope. And Lord, if there's anyone in this gathering right now or anyone in this building who may have heard me yell. It is not born again and does not know you, oh God, I pray that you would work right now in a mighty way that's very distinct that would cause them to see the beauty and the brilliance of Jesus Christ and they would cast themselves upon you and receive mercy and grace and salvation because you have died to save a people who is far from you. Bring them near, give them new life, we ask in Christ's beautiful name, amen.